0: I'd invite you at this time to uh, turn in your Bibles uh, once again to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11, is our scripture passage this morning, reading from the English Standard Version translation. Now notice immediately that this is the voice of Christ, it's Christ who is speaking. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you will have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that it would be your Holy Spirit guiding us, leading us, teaching us as we would worship, as we would listen to your word, uh, as we would ask for your Spirit's work with the Word to work in us what is well-pleasing in your sight, so that we have confidence that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, at the same time knowing that you have exhorted us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is you, Almighty God, at work within us, to will and to do your good pleasure. Now, this is what we pray, especially during this Advent season. Uh, Open up our hearts to that which is true and eternal. Keep our minds above the fray of the circumstances of our society and culture that's commercialized this season. Uh, Keep us constantly remembering Christ, uh, the true reason for this season, in His name. Amen. I want you to think about the word Advent the word means coming and so during the Advent season we have the opportunity to think about the coming of Christ into the world Uh, we have an opportunity to look at the prophetic scriptures which foretold his coming into the world and especially the book of Isaiah the reason why Isaiah is so significant is because it has such a multitude of prophecies concerning the coming of Christ that it is also known as the Old Testament Gospel book. Uh, the, the Gospel is found with such great fullness in the book of Isaiah. And of course, we know some of these passages, we know them quite well because of the Advent and Christmas season. For instance, what's so familiar to us is Isaiah 7:14, For the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, And you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Or Isaiah chapter 9, the first part of that chapter. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And then you go further down to verses 6 and 7, where you read that, uh, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace. And then it goes on to verse verse 7 there to say that the government that shall be upon his shoulders as a son of David, uh, that government, that kingdom shall have no end, that the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. And on and on in the book of Isaiah, such familiar passages that we're familiar with because of our focus upon them during this Advent season. Now, we've been focusing upon four particular passages, which uh, scholars call the the Songs of the Servant. Now what's interesting is that uh, key themes are found within these psalms that are kind of a progression. Uh, they begin by strongly and emphasizing that Christ is going to the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant by virtue of Christ being a blessing to all of the nations. And so we see that in Isaiah 42, where it specifically said that, that Christ is going to be the light to the world, the light to the Gentiles. And and then we go on to see in the servant song in Isaiah 49, that's mostly about Christ being a blessing to all the world. But then there's the element of opposition to Christ, where it says that Christ is going to be despised and abhorred. So the theme moves from blessing to beginning to talk about opposition. And in this particular passage that we're looking at today, Isaiah 50 verses 4 through 11, the element of of opposition, the the element of what Christ is going to face in order to be the blessing to the nations becomes far more pronounced, which then is a preface to Isaiah 53, the fourth servant song, which is entirely about what Christ has to suffer in order to be a blessing to all of the nations. So this morning we're looking at the third servant psalm. Today's passage is going to speak about how God prepared Christ. In fact, Christ is going to speak about how God the Father prepared him for this suffering that he was going to endure so that in his calling and in his character he was going to be the one who would bring the light to the Gentiles, salvation to all the world, that in Christ all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So the key theme that we're going to be looking at in this particular passage, we might call the character of Christ. Now, let me say something about the word character. Uh, we mean by that much more than we will commonly mean in, in our day and age. We have sort of a, a narrow idea about someone's character. But biblically, the idea of character sums up the whole person, all of what the person is. All of what he is in terms of his identity and in terms of his moral character and his spiritual character, uh, everything that he is, is is given in the concept of character in a biblical sense. And so what we're looking at in this passage is really Christ testifying to his own character. Specifically, he's testifying to his character in three ways. How his character was shaped and formed. How his character was tested. And then how his character was vindicated. Now we're going to reverse the order of the text. And look at how Christ's character was vindicated. And then how it was tested. And how it was shaped and formed. But the main idea is this. That that Christ suffered like no one has ever suffered. This great suffering took place in the context of God the Father having prepared him for that suffering. And then in in looking at how Christ's character shaped and formed for the suffering that he was going to endure, and then how his whole life vindicates everything that he went through, we can draw particularly significant lessons for us as believers. That is to say, remember what the Apostle Paul says. He labored hard so that Christ might be formed in you, he says. And so we find in the character of Christ, in terms of how it was shaped, how it was tested, how it was vindicated, something of the nature of the kind of work that God is pleased to do in us as Christians. Which reminds us again that in the Christian life, we don't look to ourselves. We always necessarily must look to Christ. It is in Christ alone that we find our sufficiency for all of the things we're going to face, uh, endure, and experience in life. So I want to begin with looking at verses 10 and 11, which um, I've called the vindication of the character of Christ. Let me read those verses again. And again, this is Christ who is speaking. He says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant, Christ himself being the servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And then verse 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire, and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Now, Christ is speaking. He's given an exhortation and a warning. He's speaking to two classes of people. He's speaking to those who fear God, but are presently in darkness. He's speaking to those who do not fear God, and they're lighting their own form of light. Now, understand, prophetically, this message is speaking directly to that time in the experience of Christ when He gave His back over to the beating and His beard to be plucked to the disgraceful treatment of being spit upon everything that we know concerning What happened beginning at midnight, Thursday night, early Friday morning, uh, through the darkness of that night, through the trials that Christ went through, uh, the Via Dolorosa, the pathway to the cross, his suffering upon the cross, his death, his burial before Easter morning, and his resurrection. That's what is prophetically being spoken to here. So there are those who are in darkness, those who fear the Lord who are in darkness who are specifically the small band of those who loved Jesus and were shaken to their core by what was happening to Christ. And what does Jesus say to them? You who are walking in darkness, trust in the name of the Lord your God. Rely upon your God. He's saying to the disciples in the darkest moments of their life and experience, do what I have done. Rely upon the Lord your God. Trust in Him. Because, of course, prophetically, as we read through this, we saw that this is exactly what Jesus Himself did. He trusted in God during all that He was going through. But we also see then to those who reject Christ, those who are his persecutors, Christ is giving them a warning. He's essentially saying, as we know from the fuller story, you have come at night with your burning torches to arrest me. Right? You know the story? It tells us about the burning torches that were brought in the nighttime to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane to find Christ. Uh, You have tried me and beat me by nighttime with your burning torches giving light within the courtyard of the high priest. Just know this, you who have used this light that you have kindled to do your evil, just know this, you will lie down in torment. Now please understand, 700 years before the chief priests and the scribes arrested Christ and put him through these trials, Christ had prophetically warned them about the evil that they would do at night under the light of the torches which they were burning. He had warned them and forewarned them of this darkness that they themselves were going to produce. And so when he says, you shall lie down in torment, that prophetic word of warning was also a sign of grace. If they had heeded that word, at least some of them would have done differently. And maybe some did. Maybe some members of the Sanhedrin, maybe Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night, uh, maybe he had understood these things. Maybe he had taken the warning. Maybe he had heeded what Christ said. The important thing here is that in the exhortation and in the warning, Christ is validating his character as the prophet who prophesies that which is to come. Christ perfectly shows that he has this foreknowledge of what is going to take place. And in the knowledge of what's going to take place, he testifies, he himself has relied upon God to be his strength. He exhorts his disciples to do likewise. He himself speaks... Impending warning to the impending judgment and danger. Now, uh, the Gospel of John carries with it an incredible number of echoes and references that are found in the book of Isaiah, if only we studied and and learned enough to see them. But notice in, in, the, in the Gospel of John in verse 28, Jesus says in verse 26, to his adversaries, to the ones who are going to do this to him by night with their torches. He says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. And then verse 39 and 40 in John chapter 8, Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, which was their claim, if you were Abraham's children, You would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So Christ there is saying, or or you read this and you say, Christ faithfully fulfilled the prophecy that he would warn his enemies, don't walk in your own light. If you do, the judgment of Christ, the judgment of the Messiah will come upon you and you will lie down in torment. Now, we move on then, or we move actually backwards <laughs> in the text. We move back to verses 5 through 9. And then here, is, we, here we see how Christ is tested with an opposition that is brutal and dehumanizing. So let me read those verses again. Verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He Who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Uh, Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Now, first, easy to see the incredible uh, brutality and dehumanization of the way that Christ is treated. He speaks, Christ speaks about those who are going to strike His back, those who are going to abuse His face by disfiguring it, disfiguring His beard, how He's going to be treated with spitting and contempt. And we know from the Gospel accounts uh, a lot more in terms of the details of the brutality that Jesus faced. Uh, We know how His back was whipped. Uh, We know the nature of that kind of whipping, how His back was lacerated and bloody we know how he was struck on the face repeatedly 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 we know how the crown of thorns was was crushed down upon his head the point here a very significant point jesus knew this is what he was going to face he knew that who he was that is his character was going to be tested in this fashion. He knew he was going to experience the most brutal and dehumanizing treatment that a human being could experience. Now, verse 5 specifically tells us, though, the manner in which he approached this. Having been taught by the Father, he faces this brutal treatment Having been taught by the Father, He's not going to be rebellious or turn back. The true test of character never occurs, never occurs when all things are going well for you. The true test of character occurs when you are facing the most difficult challenges that you've ever faced before in life. When all is smooth sailing, you coast along. When things abruptly change, and life becomes hard, and life seems to be overwhelming, that's when your character is being tested. The true nature, the true metal of who you are is being revealed to you, to God, even if to no one else. Now, when Christ encounters this, he doesn't get rebellious. I have. (laughs) He doesn't turn back. I have failed in this way. Verses 7 to 9... Christ bears the testimony. What made him capable of not being broken? What made him able to handle his character to face this kind of testing? Repeated twice, verse 7, the Lord God helps me. Verse 9, behold, the Lord God helps me. This is why Jesus could face the disgrace and not be disgraced. This is why Jesus could set his face like a flint in the face of this brutality and not be ashamed by giving in. This is why Jesus could face his adversaries with such confidence. This is why Jesus could calmly declare to the Jewish leadership at the pinnacle of his trial, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and behold, henceforth you shall see him coming on the clouds of heaven. This is why Christ could speak so boldly to Pontius Pilate and declare to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were, legions of angels would come down. My disciples would fight on my behalf. But here's the point that Jesus said to Pilate. All those who are on the side of truth Will listen to me? Did Christ? Did Pilate listen? No. He diverted by saying, "Well, what is truth?" This is why Jesus could be pelted with numerous statements and accusations and questions by King Herod, and then, along with that, vehemently accused by the Jewish chief priest, and then be ridiculed and mocked by the Jewish soldiers as well as the Roman soldiers refused to answer them because Jesus knew they didn't truly desire to know the truth. This is why Jesus could remain firm and fixed and not give in because God was his help. Christ rested in this deepest truth. The Lord God helps me. Now, The point is, the character of Christ is being deeply tested here. Uh, Physical brutality, uh, dehumanizing treatment in every way, degrading treatment that doesn't break him. The reason it doesn't break him is because the Lord God helps him. Now, there's an incredible application here for us in terms of how life and the world treat us. First, think about this. The most perfect human being who's ever lived, um, persecuted by those who actually knew him well enough to know, uh, those who had seen all of his works as evidence that he was the Son of God sent into the world, in spite of knowing his perfection, in spite of his knowing his moral goodness, in spite of knowing his love for those that he came to save, they persecuted him. They moved against him with the most extreme malice and murderous intent. So, if perfect Jesus is persecuted by fallen human beings, those who follow Christ should expect no less. But, even short of persecution... Trials and testings will come to us as Christians to test our faith, to test our character, and it comes in a multitude of forms. It can be frightening and scary news about our health. It can be employment challenges, even employment disaster. It can be deep, heartbreaking trouble with our children. We need to know that these things that we fear are those things which actually test our character. But you and I have the same help Jesus did. You and I have the same deep help that Jesus did in the midst of all of these things. We have the great promise that Stu read earlier in our service. Isaiah 41 verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Finally, we come to the first part of this passage, where we see in what Jesus Says in verse 4 the nature of what shaped and formed his character so that in the face of the greatest kind of brutality and dehumanization his character was not broken so what is it that chiefly formed the character of Christ well the answer in terms of what Jesus says is Christ got from the Father the shaping of His character. Christ got from the Father that which formed every aspect of who He was. It was God's work in Him, and God's work in and through Him, by virtue of God meeting with His Son, Jesus, day by day, even morning by morning, to form and shape his character by communing with his Son and by communicating with his Son. Now, I want you to see this. Uh, In reference to this, Christ names what the Father was doing with both the tongue and the ear. This is verse 4. The tongue and the ear, what are they? They are the primary parts of the human body involved in communication, two-way communication, that which we hear in order to learn, and that which we are going to speak in terms of what we've learned, or even speak in terms of questions about the things we need to know. Uh, The tongue and the ear, as two parts of the whole body, are two parts that represent all of the learning process that Christ went through under the tutelage of his Father. Christ is claiming that God the Father verbally spoke to him. Christ is claiming that he would hear the Father speaking to him and that in hearing the Father speak to him, he would be equipped to speak in order to give that word of ministry that would minister to those who are weary. Now, Christ is proclaiming here the pattern of his life because he's saying that this communication of the Father to the Son was a day-by-day, even more, was a morning-by-morning pattern. Morning-by-morning, the Father awakening the Son. Morning-by-morning, the Father opening up his ear in order to be instructed. Now, if you have the New American Standard, you read that Christ was given the tongue of disciples. And if you read our other translations, it's the tongue of one who was taught. The reason why the New American Standard chooses the word disciple here is because the background to the Hebrew here, when it comes forward in history, is used in the Gospels to speak of discipleship. Discipleship. And the New American Standard translator said, Let's help people see this. Well, what did they want people to see? That the Father discipled his own Son. And he discipled his own Son by teaching him and instructing him day by day, even morning by morning. This is what shaped and formed the character of Christ. His communication with His Father and His communion with His Father day by day. Now that, of course, was hidden from public view. Uh, Even the disciples didn't see this taking place other than the fact that they knew that Jesus would often go away for times of prayer apart from them. But we can well believe that before Jesus ever appeared, and said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand, that all throughout his wondrous childhood, all throughout his teenage years, all throughout his maturing adulthood till he reached the age of 30, day by day, morning by morning, Christ was sitting figuratively at the feet of his heavenly Father, hearing his voice and learning from him how to understand His calling and His life, and of course, all of what the Scriptures had to say concerning Him. The Father discipling His Son, forming and shaping His character to be the Redeemer. Jesus asserted this to His adversaries. It's one of the strong claims that Christ made to them. In John 7.16, Jesus is answering those concerning what Christ is saying. He says, my teaching is not my own, but his his who sent me. Uh, 8.28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but just as the Father taught me. Christ claims that everything he did, everything he knew, everything he understood... Everything about his mission was as the Father had taught him. And that that was fair warning to his enemies. At the same time, the way the Father discipled the Son is the model that Christ used with those he called to be his disciples. In the Gospel of Mark, it says he chose 12 to be with him. Pattern. The pattern that formed the character of Christ, Jesus himself used that same pattern with his own disciples. That by being with him and meeting with him, he might shape and form their characters in order to be what they needed to be to follow him and to be used as those who would preach the kingdom of God. Now, what is the significant point here? The character of Christ. The development of the character of Christ. The fullness of the statement in Luke where it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and gained favor with God and men. His growth was shaped and formed by his time day by day with his Father. Each morning, the voice of God awakening Christ. Each morning, God speaking to Christ. Each morning, God teaching his only begotten Son. And then Christ repeats that pattern in the life of his own disciples. Now... This is how the father prepared his son to face the trials, the brutality, the dehumanization, the disgrace, and not be broken. This is why Christ did not break. Because he got what he needed from the father. And he did so in a lifelong pattern before his public ministry even began and then continued during all throughout his public ministry morning by morning, awakening to the voice of God, morning by morning being taught by his Father all that he needed, all that was necessary, all that would build and strengthen his character for what he was ultimately going to face and experience. Now, Christ then uses the same model with his disciples. That's how he equipped them to be those who would proclaim the gospel throughout the earth. And as I said at the beginning, that which we see in this passage specifically then bears upon how we live as Christians. What forms and shapes you? What do you do morning by morning? What have you adopted in your life that you know enables you to be in the presence of God so God might shape and form your character of who you are? What do you do as you begin each is it the morning news? Is the morning news discipling you? Is it Facebook? Is it social media that you turn to first that's discipling you? Is that what you awake to morning by morning? don't think I ask those questions because I have somehow graduated beyond the temptations to those kinds of things. I was struck again studying this passage this week of how unwise it is to start the day with anyone other than Jesus. Now, of course, if you're married, you're starting the day with your spouse. I'm not talking about, get away from me. No, I'm not talking about anything like that. But being consciously intentional to see what the Father did with the Son in order that you might say, did Christ mislead us here as to the best, deepest, most valuable, most spiritually fruitful pattern of life? Is not Christ the model and example in every way in terms of of what we need and who we should become? Is there not deep and great wisdom to recognizing that morning by morning to wake up and to seek the voice of God in the Scriptures, morning by morning to desire That God in Christ by His Spirit would speak through His Word to us. And that we might have the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures shaping and forming our character. Because the pattern of your life will bring you to difficulties and hardships and testings and trials that you will never, ever be able to adequately face unless you have learned to trust in the Lord and to rely upon your God. And that is what Christ has given us. This is what prepared him for the great and awful things we will read about and look at in Isaiah 53, where we read that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. It is the experience of Christ with His Heavenly Father day by day that gave Him the ability to bear ultimately the sins of the world to bring our salvation to us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, Oh, help us, we pray. Help us to see in our Savior, Jesus, all that formed and shaped His character to be our Redeemer. And then help us to see that we also face in this world, this life, all sorts of afflictions and difficulties and challenges and trials, even persecutions. And help us to see in the pattern of Christ day by day, even morning by morning, spending time with You, that this would be to our great and deep spiritual benefit. Oh, Lord, help us. Uh, Call us. Awaken us each morning. Open up our ears. Let us not be rebellious. Let us desire to spend our time with You, to be shaped and formed by You, by Your Holy Word, by the work of Your Spirit, so that we might know Christ in every way and that Christ Himself would be formed in us. This we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.